Hi, welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether it's walnut, chocolate, fruit or red velvet, it's something that we feel unites us here at Salisbury District Hospital. Thanks so much for joining us again. We have a great episode coming up for you all about the impact of death and grief. Before we get into the episode, we should probably introduce ourselves again. So I'm Jane and I am one of the divisional heads of nursing here at the hospital. And my name's Joe. I'm the recruitment team leader here at the Trust. And joining us on this episode, we have our lead nurse for end-of-life care, Hannah McLean, Vicky Bowhill from Bereavement Support, and fit testing lead, Holly Story, who is also a volunteer at the hospice. But as we know, people are far more than just their job title. So Holly, what is one thing that people might not know about you? The most surprising thing that you probably would never know is that I love classic motorbikes. What, like sidecar motorbikes no. or just classic motorbikes? Classic motorbikes. I did um, not have you down in that category like at all. A Harley Davidson? No, no, like most, Trump? Mostly Triumph? trials bikes. Yeah. So me and my dad have got a Spanish trials bike. Oh, wow. Why didn't I know that? I just love anything to do with classic bikes. Mostly British. I'm not really interested in American. Um, but anything noisy, oily, I'm there. I'm your girl. That explains a lot. And... Vicky, yourself, what's one thing that people wouldn't know about you? About nine years ago, before I hit the big four zero, I wanted to do a tandem skydive for <gasps> charity. So I did one. Oh, my and God. And it was amazing. Did you do that up at Old Sarum? I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was great. And I raised quite a lot of money for Lucy's Days Out, the charity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was one that was close to my heart. So. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you. God, you're so right. brave. I, I couldn't do it. Absolutely yeah. not. I would. No, that's just one of my worst fears in the world is heights. So I've, even talking about it now, I'm getting sweaty hands. <laughs> I don't do heights for any length of time. I can't climb up and stand on top of somewhere and look down. That would, that would scare me. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, just that instant second of just not thinking about it and going was brilliant I take my hat off you well done thank you it's really good and how about you yeah so I really don't I don't get to it as much now as I used to but I love Lindy Hop dancing so for listeners who are listening who don't know what that is it's a bit like the Charleston Mm -hmm. so um, it's a sort of swing dance 1920s 1930s American dance that was initially done sort of in the um, sort of Harlem in New York and it's just I don't do the aerial bits but um, yeah it's just a really good swing high paced energy dance check it out and you put all of the gear on no you can do there's a really good scene down in Bournemouth actually and we've been to a couple of the dances down there but um yeah I'd love to once once I'm out of the whole after school club standing on a football pitch then yeah brilliant (laughs) thank you so as you know we're here to talk about uh grief today um Holly how has grief affected your life so a, a massive influencing factor in my life was when my mum died nine years ago um she died at the hospice here which is why I volunteer there during that period while she was ill and after everything changed my whole life changed my whole family's life changed were you really close yeah super close our whole family was was really close and it just ruined everything her dying ruined everything and it was just awful now it's different if anybody said, oh, time's a healer, time, you know, I would have told them yeah. to get lost because you don't want to hear that and you don't mm. understand it. Yeah. But actually, the longer the time has gone on, the more you do understand that. But that makes me now, I would never say that to anybody that's yeah. lost any, no. anybody yeah. because yeah. you can't understand that. You don't understand what their grief is. Absolutely. Because there's no right or wrong with grief. It affects everybody differently, no. doesn't it? Yeah. So that was a 
horrible, horrible time in our lives, and it's still not great now, obviously. We've not got our mum, and lots of things have happened, and lots yeah. of experiences, and, and new things, challenges. I could have really done with her advice. But you do, cliche, learn to live with the new. Yeah. And it's okay. Was there anything about grief that surprised you? Yeah, the whole thing was a surprise. Um, I'd lost grandparents before, and, yeah. and you know, people had died, but never that even though she had cancer and we knew she was dying yeah until they take their last breath and you know we were there with her what then happens after that is fairly sterile with funerals and paperwork and all of that but it's then what goes on you know your heart doesn't match your head yeah your life stops absolutely stops in its tracks everybody else's carries on and and you kind of begrudge people's you begrudge people because they are okay, and we think they're okay, yeah. you know, as we know, you don't know what anyone's going through, but that is a very dark period, I think, for whoever has to deal with that. Yeah, I remember somebody said to me, um, the whole world keeps turning, Joe. try not to fall apart, and I remember resenting them so hard because I was falling apart yeah. at, with the grief, and I didn't know how to get my train back on the tracks, and everyone else was just going around, fine, you know, going to work, and I was just sat there like, why are you not feeling like I'm feeling? Yeah. So it's a really, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? And it's so personal. I try now, especially when I'm at the hospice, I get asked a lot why I, I volunteer there, and I never used to know what to say because I didn't want to upset anybody. But then we all know why you go to a hospice. Yeah. And I'm just a really big advocate now for talking about death because we do need to make it normal. It happens to us all. Yeah. yeah. It happens to people we know. It happens to close family, friends. And it shouldn't be such, such a surprise. It shouldn't, it shouldn't affect people as badly as it does because people don't know what to say. Yeah. So I speak quite freely about that now, about how... But it's only my own opinion and how I've dealt with things. I would never want to force my thoughts and opinions on other people because I know that that's going to be completely different to how I healed. Yeah. yeah. And Hannah, obviously your role is very much about encouraging people to talk about end of life and what they would personally like happen when it comes to that stage in life. How do you deal with that every day? I think it's made me very, very appreciative of little things. And you don't realise how it impacts you. But for example, I will never have an argument and then walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah. So, And that's something since I worked in intensive care. And, and you would have those those stories where people would come in and they and that had happened and, yep. and you can't go back on it and you can't turn time back so I will never have an argument even if even if I say I love you through gritted teeth I will yeah. always make sure that's the last thing that's come come out of my mouth before I walk out the door and slam it um, <laughs> so yeah so it's those things and and I also really appreciate nature and if I've had a bad day or if if things we're very conscious as a team that we take time out, for example, all of my team. So I work in the end-of-life care team and we all have more days off a week than we work a week. And I think that's really important yeah. to try and get that work-life balance. Absolutely. Um, key. And like Holly said, people talking about death is still a bit of a taboo subject. So how can we change that? I think COVID has actually increased awareness across the whole world that death does not always come as a result of a long illness where yeah. you can almost prepare yourself and yeah. you're aware. And so I think the last couple of years has made us more aware of our mortality. And it's about 
being prepared and, and it's not about your imminent death it's about just letting people know what matters to you yeah. because the one thing I see at the bedside that upsets and causes more distress than anything is when somebody is not able to voice what matters to them themselves we look to family and loved ones yeah. to be able to be their voice yeah. and we see people absolutely racked when they don't know what their loved yeah. one would have wanted yeah. and it can be as simple as where would they like to be cared for or do you, would you think that they would like this treatment which is quite invasive or quite quite difficult to take and it's going to be difficult for that person and actually where people know their loved one's wishes that decision is so much easier and actually people get quite a lot of comfort from being able to be their loved one's voice at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever experienced any um, loss that's really sort of impacted you as an individual? Uh, a couple that have really influenced my career direction really. Um, so my own gran, I was really close to my gran, saw her every day and was fortunate enough to live in the same village as her as a nurse and she died um i would class as a very good death it was she was very comfortable she was in hospital and i was so appreciative of this is the experience i would want other people to yeah. have so i strive for a lot of people to have that sort of experience have family around at the bedside but equally i have had friends very very close friends who've suffered devastating bereavements and again their experience and Jane will appreciate this as an yeah. intensive care nurse, which is my background, we cannot cure everybody and we cannot no. necessarily change the outcome for everybody. But when a cure is not possible, and I try and, and say this to our junior doctors and nurses in particular, actually, if you can help that person and their family and that experience to be as good as it possibly can be and to meet their wishes, to find out what matters to them. And whether that is a therapist taking somebody outside or whether that is getting them home, whether that is managing their pain, whether that is breaking the rules and getting their dog to come yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've had cats in on Farley yeah. War before. Yeah. But whatever it is that's really important to them, whether it's sitting with somebody and writing a letter to their grandchild that they may never meet and, and spending that time doing it, Actually, you can walk away from your shift that day feeling more fulfilled and you've made more of a difference to that person yeah. than any other time in your career. And, and listening to my friends who suffered devastating bereavements, actually, it has sometimes been the reaction of certain members of the healthcare staff that supported them through that that has made all the difference. And one thing that is really clear to me is everybody suffers grief and everybody suffers grief differently. But if their wishes, if their loved one's wishes, if their death has not been as they would have hoped it would be, then actually their grief is so much more complex. Yeah. So Vicky, how has grief affected your life? You must see it a lot and deal with it and experience it a lot, particularly even with the aftercare. So how has that affected your life? Um, I haven't experienced a great deal of grief on my personal, in my personal yeah. life mainly grandparents when I was quite young but recently I have experienced one where it was a close friend that I grew up with so from the age of sort of 10 until 22 when I met my husband we were very very close yeah. um, and her family got in touch to tell me that she was terminal and she was dying and could I go and visit her I was going to say did you get to see her absolutely she so away? I did go up and see her every day on the ward um, it was about 20 years I hadn't seen her wow. and literally as soon as I walked in she was like hi Vic how are you? Yeah. 
and we it was just like the old times we reminisced about everything we did what mischief we got up to yeah we won't talk about that <laughs> um, we'll save then, that for after yeah, absolutely but then after after the sort of nice bit she would sort of just lay there bless her and it would be i'm dying yeah i'm dying and she kept on repeating that and she'd sort of ask me things like will it hurt will it you know how will i know when i'm gonna um, and I try my best to answer those questions, but it's just so hard seeing a close friend like that. Of course it is, because it's really hard to separate, isn't it? Like when you're doing your normal day job, yeah. and when you've got an emotional attachment yeah, to that person. Definitely, totally different. Your professional barrier comes down totally, very quickly. Totally, totally different. So we meet all, all walks of life in the bereavement office. Mm. We're a small team, so we've got two technicians, mortuary manager, uh, two medical examiner officers, and then two bereavement officers. That's yeah. it. So we do lots of viewings as well for loved yeah. ones. So families want to come in and say their goodbyes. And that can be a mixture of ages, a mixture of reasons why they've died. Um, and it's really important to me to, to let them do that, let them have that closure. Yeah. And so many people come in with all different sorts of body language. Some can be angry, some can be really tearful, really emotional. So we take them through and they get to see their loved ones. Sometimes they want to chat after and we'll yeah, have a yeah. chat with them and they'll yeah. talk things through and they'll reminisce about things they did, which is lovely. But equally, you'll get some that go in, they're in minutes and they're out. They yeah. don't want to talk. They want to yeah. go home. They want to grieve alone. Yeah. Absolutely respect that. Yeah. But, but sometimes they'll go in really sad. And actually, when they've been in and had their said their goodbyes and, and reach closure and, and it, they've seen it's real. Yeah. They'll come out, they'll talk to us and actually they'll walk away smiling. Yeah, I mean, for me, I went in saw, when my partner died and I went and saw him, I went in distraught and came out feeling much lighter. Absolutely. Uh, the relief. I, yeah, because I'd had a talk totally. to him and I, yep. you know, I told Absolutely. him off, you know. Yep. And I sort of, I come out and I thought, okay, as sad as that was, I actually yeah. do feel a bit yeah. more it together. It You know, it? we sort of prepare you for Absolutely. the funeral that was coming. So yeah. it's yeah. invaluable sometimes Definitely. seeing... Definitely, and we one. do our best to offer that in whatever circumstance. Um, and sometimes we'll get children coming in to say goodbye to their dad. Yeah, or, of course. You know, and we'll often suggest little things that they can do, like if they don't want to go in and see him and they, they haven't come in on that particular day, they can bring a teddy in to put with daddy or mummy yeah. or their nanny. And they can write them letters or poems, yeah. put photos. So we suggest all those things, and they're all part of the grieving process that do help. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They really do. Yeah, I, I know when I've lost family members, exactly that's what we've done. We've yeah. bits of hair, poems. Absolutely, we do hair locks, letters. yeah, fingerprints, yeah. yeah. But I do, Lots my different things. first ever experience of death was, unfortunately, I lost my cousin very young. He had an undiagnosed cardiac condition and Gosh. collapsed playing football. Um, so I was only 15 and it, a bit Total like, shock. you know, wrecked our entire family. And my auntie was adamant she wanted to bring him home. She wanted him to be at home. And Absolutely. She slept next to him and everything. And it, it, I, at the time, hadn't seen a dead body mm. or anything. And I was just like, oh, my God, how scary. But she, my auntie taught me so much. I think the key thing is, is what math, you know, what's important to you? Mm-hmm. Because what was important to your aunt, yeah. if that was suggested or assumed for somebody else it would be really distressing for them and then they'd feel, am I supposed to do this if yeah. I don't want to do this? Yeah, yeah. So actually it's it's offering everybody that choice that it's okay. Yeah. And like Holly was saying, it's that personal journey, isn't it? And even within families, you will quite often have one person with the family will, will grieve one way and that actually that can be quite distressing mm. when somebody else is not grieving in the same way and it, it's recognising that it, it's all different. So Everybody's many different, different stages to grieving, isn't there? There is no right or wrong with grief. You know, it can take as much or as little time as you want. You always hold that person to, with you 
And you'll still have those days where a smell, a sound, uh, you know, someone's voice might sound the same. And you think she, and it just, it takes you straight back to that person, I think. Vanilla candles. Mm-hmm. When um, my granddad died, um, he again was brought home for the family and my mum lit some vanilla candles in his room so we could go see him. And whenever I smell a vanilla candle, I always remember. Takes you straight back Yeah, there. yeah. What was quite interesting with the journey for grief in our family is um, I knew from when we were in the hospice and mum was dying that I wanted to go back and help. The volunteers were amazing. The staff were amazing. They were like real life angels. So a period of time had to to pass before you could go back to volunteer. And I get that now because you you can imagine even now it's sad. It is sad and you have to be strong. But the, the day I went in for my chat with the volunteer coordinator which was about three, I think three or four years after mum died, my sister was upstairs having counselling. So that's how oh, different our journeys gosh. were. Yeah. I was there ready to go and help people in our situation. And my sister was, was upstairs yeah. and she was there for so long, her husband ended up calling me because he couldn't get hold of her. Yeah. And we were all really worried about her. So does anybody have any top tips for anybody that's experiencing a loss? Any best advice? wise words that you could share with our listeners to maybe um, help them through a difficult time? I would say don't put pressure on yourself mm-hmm. to to feel any particular way at any particular time. And also I think there's about what tips to say to friends because friends want to be supportive, but they yeah. don't know how to be supportive yeah. to your friend. So again, um, rather than saying, I'm here if you need me, it's very difficult to then actively ask for support. But um, I've had friends who will just send a text saying, I've just pulled up to make some work calls. I'm in the lay-by round by your house. If you fancy coming for a walk, I'll be here for the next half an hour. If you don't turn up, I'll drive on. And, and then, you know, sometimes that, their friend will come out and say, actually, let's go for a walk. It's that not taking offence bit, isn't it? Because like you say, you might get six no's, but that on that seventh one where you think, actually, they're not going to come out. They actually do. They're there at the door with their trainers on, ready to come and, you know, sort of speak to you, go on, you know, as you say, escape the house, go for that walk or whatever. And people are so worried about saying the wrong thing and causing say, more yeah. distress. And, yeah. and I understand how saying things like, oh, you'll get over it, you'll feel better, that isn't going to necessarily help people. But just even saying, I don't know what to say, yeah. isn't isn't it rubbish, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it's almost like uh, people avoid you almost as well because they Definitely. don't want to have that awkwardness, that conversation. So they try and they try and sort of like, you know, skirt past you a little bit and hope that time passes. Over. Actually, that can make it worse. I'd rather you just come up to me and say, I don't know what to say and just give me a massive hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would mean more than just actually that, that weird sort of awkwardness. Or when somebody comes back to work, I know somebody who'd suffered a bereavement and her first day at coming back to work... She was dreading anyone saying, are you all right? Yeah. But actually, somebody went up to her and just said, it is so good to see you. Yeah. And that was brilliant. That yeah. was the perfect thing to say to her because mm. it yeah. didn't say, you know, it, it acknowledged what had happened, but it didn't put her in an awkward position. Yeah. That Steering it, it in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. I think when it's happened to you and so personally, yeah. and even from a work point of view, you do know mm-hmm. what to yeah. say because yeah. even I still find it awkward all this time later if somebody says something or you know how's your mum or whatever oh you know she died oh I'm so sorry I don't mm. get it I just I always personally found that awkward yeah because what do you say well that's okay don't worry about it yeah yeah you probably are sorry to hear the news but for the person that so that's just one thing I've taken from our bereavement that I wouldn't ever say to somebody 
And Vicky, yourself, top tips? Um, I think for me, I think just be aware that you're going to go through a roller coaster of emotions. They're not going to be the same as maybe your wife's going through or your daughter mm-hmm. or your son's going through. But actually, you go through them all eventually and don't yeah. rush it. Just let it take its its time. And I going back to what Anna was saying, sorry, Hannah was saying earlier about the, the wishes of, of families. Quite often we have to ask families yeah. so when sure. they ring us in the mornings to get advice on what happens next. We have to ask them if they knew what their loved ones' wishes were, whether it was cremation or burial. Um, we have to ask them if they've got a funeral director in mind. And so often they go, oh, I don't know, she might have a will, I'm not sure, we'll need to look into that. We didn't really talk about that. So like Hannah, I've asked my mum and dad, I know exactly yeah. what they want, my husband knows what I want, we've discussed it. And actually I just, I think that was, I wish it was more out there to be, to be mm. talked about and discussed. I had a friend who was talking just the other day and his wife died a few years ago and he said that when his wife died, because everything was online, Yeah. He didn't know who the electricity bill was with because yeah. she did it all. Yeah. He didn't know when she died. And he said there was just no reason, but she had um, a PIN number to her phone. But he hadn't considered to ask what her PIN number for yeah. her phone was. So he was able to inform close family and friends. But all of her contacts from her early years or her school years, etc. he said it was just an added stress and pressure to try and find out how to unlock the phone. Um, and I suppose it's it's saying to any listeners, you know, do you know yeah. your loved one's wishes? Do you know what who pays the bill? Yeah. Have, have they got permission to discuss things with you as yeah. well? And it's all those sorts of things. And finding out particularly about parents, because parents have accumulated a whole load of stuff over the years. And, oh, gotcha. and the thought of trying <laughs> to go through the files and find yeah, out yeah. who yeah. to do. It's really real. I remember when my dad was uh, just pre-COVID before it rocked up. My dad was in, uh, in a coma, a medically induced coma. And you're trying to figure out where where things are paid from, who's got power of attorney, whose house is the, you know whose name is the house in, etc. And eventually we got there, but you do have to really dig deep. So ever since then we've had those conversations, and now we know where everything is. We know you know passwords. Yeah, you know, we know where the deeds to the house are. But you do you have to think about these things. It's it's morbid, but it makes things that end of the process much simpler. I think from what the girls were saying, one thing we learned as a family and that I try to do now and actually just even having the conversation with you guys and going to do it is not waiting till I'm sick or till the other person's sick because mum had this terrible... It was a, a fairly shock diagnosis. We weren't expecting it. And I do know that there were certain things after she'd been given her dying diagnosis she doesn't want to talk about. We're sort of saying so... You know, who, who's your? When does your phone contract run out? Yeah, pin numbers, yeah. bank information. Yeah. Like that's not even part of her thought process. She's she's dying and she's really sad about it. Yeah. yeah, it's like going on holiday. You don't leave all your particulars till the car drive up to the airport. You sort everything out. Oh, ready. I've, done I've done that a few times. <laughs> and look at the mess that causes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so part of um part of obviously grief is death. So can I get your opinion, Hannah, on um, organ donation and your views on it and how important it is for, you know, people that are potentially waiting for a transplant and your thoughts on that? I think organ donation is an incredible gift that you can give and families consent to giving when they are going, their whole world has been devastated. Um, Organ donation 
does save lives by its very process it saves Mm -hmm. lives and again by the very by the necessity of organ donation people that actually are able to donate their organs are very likely to have had a sudden catastrophic unexpected deterioration and end up in intensive care so there is no opportunity to start asking what the person's wishes are at that point yeah you need to know there and then but um even for only a very small number of people who are able to actually donate their organs, but so many people could donate their tissues, such as giving the gift of sight to somebody else. Yep. And it is often, we, we're not very good at asking about tissue donation, um, but that is something that if, again, you voice your wishes to other mm. people they are more likely to to raise that when they're at the bedside to the healthcare professionals and say, actually, Dad always talked about the fact that he wanted to donate his corneas. Is that something that could be possible to facilitate? And I think people need to be aware that in the UK, or certainly in England, we have an opt-out system now, like Wales. But actually, in reality, don't think, oh, well, because it's an opt-out system, if I don't say no then it will automatically happen. Because in reality, we still ask the consent of family. And if family don't know your wishes, then we would always... Nobody wants to cause long-lasting distress and and compact on grief. So don't think that if I don't opt out, it will automatically happen. And it's it's a really important and valuable decision to make, isn't it? Holly, can I ask, how has grief uh, manifested itself with yourself and with your family... So for me personally, I have come out the other side. I feel stronger. I feel more positive, um, especially in the hospice. I'm able to, I feel I'm able to help people with their journeys, a family. You know, I quite often have people say, if if you can be here as a younger person, not that I'm not that young, but as a younger person, if you can be here with a smile on your face, the person dying has quite, I've had it said more than once, you know, we've really taken hope that our loved ones are going to be okay. Yeah. And that just means more than anything. Curiously, I feel a lot stronger than my dad or my sister. And this is nine years down the line, as I say. He's so happy now. He's he's remarried uh, to a lovely lady. They're so happy. He cannot talk about my mum. He can't talk about what happened. He can't yeah. talk about anybody that's diagnosed with cancer, anybody that's dying. Just a complete trigger for him. Completely yeah. just loses himself. Yeah. He cannot deal with it at all. And he, he has a really strong Christian faith. He he's not he knows where he's going when he, yeah, he yeah. dies. Um he's not frightened of death. It's purely to do with that person's suffering, I think, and how the families yeah are now going to feel because he understands that to the core. He's got total empathy for them. Completely. Yeah. It's just helpful as well, I suppose, for people to be aware because people do have relationships after they've experienced grief and they they will always love their, their first love and the person that they've lost. And so it's having that sensitivity. If you are a friend and you are supporting mm-hmm. a friend who's yeah. bereaved, actually trying to have some compassion about the fact that they found love again and how difficult it must be for both sides yeah. Yeah. Um, to be in that situation yeah. and actually having the support of your friends and family mean everything in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I think to get over grief and then go out and find love again is just amazing. I think that it can is just one of those things that, like you say, be supportive. You know, everyone is entitled to... Life does go on. It does move on. People will fall in love again, you know, and I love to see people go back out and find love again because I just think... 
it means that they've kind of accepted the grief and they're ready to to move on with their life. Well, in, in reality, I don't think any of our loved ones or would ever want us to be unhappy. No. So if you're able to move on and find happiness with someone else, then, you know, I think we're all safe to say that is what your yeah. loved one would want as well. I hope so. Yeah. And for you, Joe, because obviously you lost your Yeah, I suppose grief is one of those things, like we've t- spoke about here, there's no right or wrong with it. There's no, you know, rhyme or reason to it. Um, I think for me, much like you, Holly, I'm on, the, I'm on the other side. It's been a couple of years since Jordan's died. And I can talk about him now without that lump creeping up your throat. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, suicide is one of those things that I'd never experienced before. And it took me a good two years to get an understanding of why people, um, you know, complete suicide and how that impacts, you know, the family that are left behind and the friends. And it's like, even now, there's a group of us that still meet up. They're the same people that helped carry the coffin in. And now when we get together, we still reminisce about those fun times, but we're all still moving forward. You know, it's important that, you know, just because somebody has passed away, that, you know, your life will carry on, but you can remember them in any way that you want to. So that's what, that's what we do. But isn't it nice when they're remembered? That's my favourite thing now. I don't want to talk about how ill my mum was and how she suffered. Somebody remembering her, somebody telling me a memory, their memory, somebody, yeah. Yeah. she's still part of things because nine years is quite a long time. Yeah. And actually to have people, and that's the great thing about working here because my mum worked up here is people know that I'm her daughter and will quite often say or introduce me as Sue's daughter. Yeah. And then they'll give me a small anecdote or a, a memory and I just love that. And they don't realise that small little antidote or, you know, anything like that is just can just lift you up makes my day yeah absolutely okay so obviously we've covered lots of sensitive topics today but we can't finish an episode without discussing cake it's called the cake so vicky if i start with you can you please tell me what your favorite flavored cake is and why oh goodness i'm spoilt for choice they all look delicious i think my favorite would have to be the red velvet cake definitely good choice yeah absolutely red velvet any day. And Holly, what about you? Hands down for me, the lemon drizzle cake that Jane's kindly made for me. <laughs> Gluten-free, and you can't tell the difference. It's delicious. Oh, good. I'm glad you that like it. That whole thing is for you. You know that, didn't and you? And I'm going to the... tuck that down. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah? I would always say carrot cake, but Holly has just given me a bit of this lemon drizzle. And, um, yeah, you might have to fight me for it. It's delicious. Absolutely delicious. See, Jane, you've started a riot now, if you're yeah. It always goes down well, the lemon drizzle, so I'll, I'll make you one next time we have a meeting. Thank you. Thanks so much to all our guests on this episode. And, Joe, yourself, it's quite a sensitive topic for you. How was that? Yeah, it was It was a really warm feeling and talking about that and that shared understanding of you must all speak to each other about your wishes. So I took a lot from that, and I'm sure... People listening at home will be thinking, actually, or wherever you listen to your podcast, will be thinking, wow, okay, I need to have those conversations. Yeah, definitely. And if there's anything I can implore is that you do have those conversations. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. We really appreciate it. Well then, Jane, I think it's about time we had another slice of cake. How about that? How are you then?